Hi, welcome to the New Covenant Presbyterian Church Sermon Podcast, a congregation of the Orthodox Presbyterian Church, the OPC, in the San Francisco Bay Area. Amen. Well, brothers and sisters, if you would, please turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 3. 1 Peter chapter 3. I'm going to be looking at the first six verses here this morning. If you would, please rise as we honor the public reading of God's word. 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 1 to 6. Wives, likewise, be submissive to your own husbands, that even if some do not obey the word, they, without a word, may be won by the conduct of their wives when they observe your chaste conduct accompanied by fear. Do not let your adornment be merely outward, arranging the hair, wearing gold, or putting on fine apparel. Rather, let it be the hidden person of the heart, with the incorruptible beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is precious in the sight of God. For in this manner in former times the holy women who trusted in God also adorned themselves, being submissive to their own husbands. As Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, whose daughters you are, if you do good and are not afraid with any terror. Thus far the reading of God's word. You may be seated. Let's go before the Lord once again in prayer. Father, we are in a stretch in these recent weeks and even here once again this week of looking at passages whose teaching is quite opposed to what we are told is correct in today's world. We are told that the teaching of the Bible is backwards on all of these things. We see in so many ways your word being uh, disregarded, not obeyed in the culture around us. Lord, as we see people unable to submit in the various spheres of life that you've given us to submit. And Lord, here we come to the same issue with regard to the marriage relationship. How we do ask, O Lord, that you would grant us the grace to have ears to hear your word, to have eyes to see the beauty of it, and Lord, to have the humility to submit to you, ultimately, as we find the commands to submit to others in your word. We ask, O Lord, that you would do this not for our own sakes, but for yours, that you would sanctify us, that we would even grow in our knowledge of you, and that we would be enabled by your Spirit to live lives that are worthy of the gospel to which we have called. We ask all this in the name of your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, several weeks ago, probably about a month ago at this point, when I preached the sermon on 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 11 to 17, one of the things I mentioned was that in today's world, and particularly not even in just the world more broadly, but in our own country and at this time, one of the greatest issues that's facing us is the inability for people to submit to God-given authority. And this has been the theme that we've looked at uh, over the last several weeks as we've been going through 1 Peter And it is an important thing, even as we consider how to live a godly life in the midst of suffering, because one of the things that's often true is when we suffer, one of the things we're tempted to do is not to submit to the authority that God has put 
in our lives. Now, there has been a number of ways in which we've looked at this so far. We've considered uh, the way in which we're to submit to the government and particularly the way in which this has not been happening today. We're in a a time where we're seeing rioting and looting. We're seeing uh, people not willing to submit to the government with coronavirus regulations. We've seen even the way this has affected the church. Uh, Sometimes people unwilling to submit to the leadership and authority of the church. We've seen even more broadly uh, ways in which people are unwilling to submit to employers or other uh, figures that they owe their service to. And in all these ways, we see there is a violation of the fifth commandment, an inability and dis- to submit to authority and a disdain for that authority. And while in some ways in today's world, there are particularly with things related to the government and whatever else, these things are being pressed upon us more. There is an area of uh, authority and submission that has been growing in terms of it being a problem in this world for some time, probably for more than a generation, probably for two or three generations, perhaps. And that is particularly the area of marriage, that a wife is, in fact, to submit to her husband. We are told today uh, that there are the great sins of patriarchy where men dominate and oppress women, and that the only just response to this, the only possible uh, response that could be uh, in any way upholding the equality of women is to say that in re- with regard to feminism, that there are really no distinctions between men and women, that men and women can do exactly the same things, they have exactly the same roles, and to say anything to the contrary would be to demean women and to put them under the heel uh, of man. This is the the way that this is typically spoken of today, and it is contrary to the scriptures. We do not we do not judge someone's worth by whether or not they are required to submit to authority. Even the Lord Jesus Christ, while on earth, who is the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, submitted to all kinds of authority. He submitted to the government. Ultimately, even submitted to his Father, who called him to bear the weight of the cross. But it wasn't in that submission that he was seen to be inferior, but rather that submission was his glory. It was his glory. And what we see here is even in the context of marriage, even not even just in the context of marriage in general, but even marriage to an unbeliever, even in that context, a woman is to submit to her husband. And if you were to ask why, why is this? Why would this be the case? The answer given in the text is twofold. One, because submission to a husband is beautiful in the sight of God. It's beautiful in the sight of God, and it advances the kingdom of God. It's beautiful in his sight, and it advances God's kingdom. Now, uh, we're quite familiar with the structure of the way Peter uh, uh, sets up his passages. There's very often a command followed by reasons to obey the, the command. We've seen this going all the way back to the beginning of 1 Peter we have it no different as Peter continues to uh, look at now the marriage relationship, particularly this week focusing on wives. Next week we'll look at uh, what Peter says about husbands in verse 7. So we're going to look at this uh, passage under four headings. First, we have the command to submit, and that's then supported by two reasons. So we have uh, the command to submit in the beginning of verse 1. The way in which uh, submission advances the kingdom of God, the first reason, in the second part of verse 1 to verse 2. The beauty of submission in verses 3 and 4, and then the ways in which uh, there are examples of this great submission uh, in the scriptures, to, to give almost a third reason, but uh, giving examples of, of women in the, in the scriptures who have done uh, this very thing in verses 5 
to 6. So that's the structure of the passage and the way we're going to be handling it. So look with me again then at the beginning of verse 1, where you'll see there is this command. Wives, likewise, be submissive to your husbands. This is uh, clearly continuing on the same thought uh, of submitting to godly authority. And uh, it now comes to wives. Now, one of the things that we have to address before we get in particularly to some of the details of this passage is, uh, is it right for a woman to submit to her husband in today's world? And uh, is there a sense in which this way of speaking is outdated? Now, if you remember last week, we looked at uh, the issue of slavery. And we, we said that the Bible does regulate slavery, does not condemn the institution of slavery, though in some ways it's undermined, and it will not be present in glory. And therefore, it's not wrong for a civilization or a nation, and it can be even right, we can say, for a civilization to ban slavery altogether. Uh, that would be a good way to recognize that people, all people are made in the image of God, and therefore we're not to be enslaved to man, and we're not to enslave others. That's a good thing. And so can you make an argument that just as the Bible does not condemn outwardly the institution of slavery, though it recognizes that it's wrong, can you make a similar argument with submission to husbands, for wives submitting to husbands? So the question with the, the way this sometimes goes is this. The Bible says the Bible doesn't outright condemn slavery, though it does imply slavery is wrong. And in the same way, the Bible might not outright condemn uh, women submitting to their husbands, but it does show by its teachings that this is wrong, and it was some sort of accommodation uh, to the first century, uh, that sort of thing. To say the question another way, is there a difference between slavery as an institution, which is inherently wrong and put up with, or and women and their roles within the home, where we would be able to say that a woman submitting to her husband is fundamentally different and in fact good. Or to say it again another way, just so we're clear that we're all on the same page, uh, if it was if it's not wrong to abolish slavery, is it wrong to abolish the need, the obligation for a woman to submit to her husband? So there's there's the, the big question. And we're going to look at this question and answer it before we go into the specifics of the passage. First, just generally, uh, there are a few things like we we pointed out last week. There are a number of things the Bible teaches about uh, slavery that show that it is actually a result of sin and therefore inherently evil, uh, even though it was regulated by the scriptures and not condemned as an institution in the Bible. Um, And there are some things we can say in general about the teaching between a man's relationship uh, to his wife and men and women as they are portrayed before God. First, one thing that the Bible clearly teaches is that is that men and women are equal before God. There is no difference in value uh, between a man and a woman before God. Think of uh, what Paul writes in Galatians chapter 3, verse 28, something we looked at last week to show uh, the, the undermining of uh, a slave being inferior to his master. So too, in that same verse, Paul says that there's no longer man or woman. There's no longer the distinction in terms of uh, value. They're all one in Christ. Just in the next verse, something we'll look at in more detail next week of this passage, uh, in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 7, women are called co-heirs, co-heirs of uh, eternal life. They're co-heirs of the grace of life. And even we see this is built upon things that are go all the way back to the very beginning of creation, where it says in, in Genesis chapter 1, verse 28, that God made male and female in his own image. It's not that God made man in his image and then took woman from the rib of man, and then that was something different. 
It was man and woman together that were made in the image of God. And so there's no distinction in terms of value. Men and women are, are perfectly equal in terms of their value before God. And this is something that the Bible teaches. However, one of the things that the, another thing that the Bible also teaches is that the Bible recognizes, re- recognizes that, that though men and women are equal in the sight of God, there is a difference, a distinction in the way in which men and women were made and that does affect the, the roles that men and women have in this world. Men and women are not made the same, though they are equal. And because they're not made the same, they are also not given the same roles. A man's body has been created to perform the functions that God has given to man. And a woman's body has been created to perform the functions which God has given uh, to women. And so in this way, First uh, Peter chapter 3, verse 7 and we're, we're not going to dive into this too much just because we're going to look at it next week. But uh, that verse says, the next, the next verse of this passage says uh, that women are, in fact, weaker vessels. They've not been made with the same kind of physical strength. And there might be other things we can say about that that we won't touch on now. Uh, there, but that does affect the role which women have uh, in this world. Other passages, 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 14 to 15, the beginning also of Titus 2, particularly verses 3 to 5. Uh, show the differences in terms of uh, the sphere of, of life that women work in, that there is a natural affinity to, for a woman to work uh, in the home, to raise up children, to love their husbands, to be homemakers, uh, that sort of thing. There is a distinction in the roles that men and women have that the Bible recognizes. And in that way, then, there's also a, a, a headship and authority that man has been given as the stronger uh, vessel, uh, to, to exercise over women. And as I mentioned in the, in the introduction, this need to submit then to this authority that God has put in place in no way takes away from the value of a woman. It in no way takes away from the value of a woman. Just as Christ's submission, you know, in the, in the last week we looked at the way Christ is compared particularly to a slave. He's compared to a slave. And yet he is the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. In today's world, Submission to means better than or worse than. If you, if you are someone who must submit to another person, it means you're worse than, than that person. If you are the one who has, who has someone submit to him, uh, then you are someone who is better than another. That's the way the world speaks today. But this is absolutely not the case. Think of what the Lord Jesus Christ said. The one who is greatest among you, he will be the servant and the slave of all. It is actually submission that shows the greatness of a person, not the other way around. And another thing that the Bible then teaches, and this will, be, this will round out our general teaching of the scriptures on, on these points, is that a humble acceptance of the role that God has given you in every sphere of life, including marriage, the humble acceptance of this leads to your best life. If you do not submit to the roles and functions God has given to you and you rebel against them, whether that be men abdicating their authority in the marriage relationship or women trying to to usurp it, in either case, it will always lead to sin. It always leads to sin. It does not lead to godliness at all. And you will pierce yourselves with many pangs by so doing. Now, that's an overview of the Bible's teaching uh, on uh, on the relationship between men and women. Let me just point out a couple of, of key differences with slavery. Now, I mentioned slavery is something that it is right for a nation to abolish. It's not wrong to do that. Uh, And it's something that the Bible tolerated, though it was sinful. 
what's the difference between this and uh, particularly the submission aspect of the marriage relationship? Well, the, the, the way that we can show that there is a difference is by looking at the root of uh, slavery versus the root and foundation of marriage with male headship. Notice last week I had argued that slavery is not something that's really consistent with creation. It does not make sense for man to be created in the image of God and then for man who is created in the image of God to be able to enslave another person who's also created in the image of God. We saw then that slavery was, was the result of sin. Slavery was the result of sin. It has its foundation not in creation as God declares it to be good, but rather in the fall after God's good creation was perverted. However, marriage, even with male headship, is actually different. It is not rooted. It did not begin with the fall. It began with creation, where God actually declared it all to be very good. And this is why even all throughout the Bible, uh, a woman submitting to her husband is always rooted in the act of creation. And so, you know, Paul will argue, you know, man was made first and woman was taken from man. That, that act of creation, it's rooted not in the fall, but in creation itself, where God declared all things good. That, that is, it's, it was that act of creation, even the way in which God did it, that shows that man is, in fact, to be the one who is the head uh, over his wife. And so uh, if there's no sense in which then this headship, now it's, it's, it can be perverted because of sin. You know, men can oppress and dominate their women and their wives in ways that they shouldn't because of sin. But that does not change the fact that in creation, God did establish uh, this kind of headship and he declared it to be very good with all the rest of the things that he declared to be very good uh, at the end uh, of the sixth day. So just in summary, slavery was not present before the fall but began after the fall and was rooted in, in sin. But male headship goes back to God's good creation, is rooted in God's good design, and to rebel against that design is to rebel against something that God declared very good and which he did create and institute in his wisdom. And so uh, this command to submit still does apply. A woman must submit to her husband. Now, notice in the text, Servants are to be, uh, excuse me, wives likewise be submissive to your own husbands. Notice in the text, it does not say that all women are to submit to all men. This is only talking about wives submitting to their own husbands. And then notice as well, uh, when we think of submission, we're not to think of all submission as being exactly the same. A, a servant's submission to his master is not the same as a wife's submission to her husband. A child's submission to, their, to his parents is not the same uh, as a wife's submission to her husband either. Your submission as a citizen of this country is not the same as a wife's submission to her husband. A wife's submission to her husband is to be a loving submission, uh, a loving, compassionate, caring position where there is uh, an equality that's recognized uh, that uh, is even in some ways different than even with children. Of course, our children are made in the image of God, are equal with us as well. Uh, but the man and the woman share authority over the children and in that ways are, are equals in ways uh, that children are not. And so there is this command to be submissive to husbands. Now, notice as well in the context that this command is given even, even in the case where a woman does not have a believing husband. This is the way all of these passages work about submission. You are to submit to the government even if the government is unjust. 
you are to submit if you are a servant to your master, even if the master is unjust, even if he's unkind. And in the same way, in the marriage relationship, the obligation to submit does include even the situation where uh, the, the person you are submitting to, your husband, is in fact an unbeliever. There is a requirement to submit even in all of these cases. Now, if you were to ask, you know, that seems like a difficult thing to do. Why would God require me to submit even in this very difficult situation? You know, one of the most difficult situations imaginable is to be uh, married to an unbeliever where uh, you know, the, the husband or wife is going one way, you're trying to go uh, the other way. The most basic fundamental questions of life you don't share. Uh, there are all kinds of problems that can come uh, from this. But, if, but here, one of the things that Peter then emphasizes, and one of the first, the first reason that's given for why a wife should submit to her husband is because in the context of marriage, a wife submitting to her unbelieving husband in a godly way advances the kingdom of God. It advances the kingdom of God. Notice what Peter says at the second part of verse 1 and 2. That even if some do not obey, they, the unbelieving husbands, without a word, may be won by the conduct of their lives. That if a wife who is a, a Christian submits in a godly way to her unbelieving husband, that can actually be used by God to uh, open the eyes of the unbelieving husband so that he will see the great godly character of his wife and in seeing that would be turned to the faith. This is, this is what, the way it says. When, when they see, observe, your chaste conduct accompanied by fear. If, an, if a wife of uh, an unbelieving husband is willing to submit, then even without a word, this person, the, the unbelieving husband, can be won over to the gospel. Now, uh, it, it, this shows that, one, that it's true that sometimes, as, as often said, sometimes it is, in fact, actions that do speak louder than words. And this is often the case with uh, a Christian wife uh, in a home with an unbelieving husband. Uh, uh, an unbelieving husband. Very often it will be your actions that will speak louder than your words. Now, this does not mean that you're not to, to share the gospel, not to speak the gospel in any opportunity that you have. Uh, but I, one of the things I think Peter is recognizing here is that in those kinds of situations where there is a, a mixed household, so to speak, uh, in those situations, often the gospel can be a very difficult topic. There can be a closing off uh, to the gospel uh, from uh, a husband. I think this is a very common thing. There is a, a hardness to it. It can be very difficult for a, a man who is an, un, an unbeliever to uh, humble himself to the point where he can listen to his wife on those uh, kinds of things. And in, these, in this case, which is very, very common, Peter says, you can actually still be preaching the gospel with your life in such a way that, that your husband, in, in noticing the great godly conduct that you give to him, and even when you disagree on the most basic fundamental things, you lovingly submit to this person. God can use that to open up his eyes and uh, to uh, open up his eyes to believe in the gospel. Now, notice even the way that these things are, are described in terms of the, the woman's behavior. There is the chaste conduct. Here the word chaste is uh, the word holy. So it's a, a holiness of life. And it's accompanied by fear. That's, that is not fear of the husband, but fear of God himself. That's the, 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 the godly submission of a wife. It shows to the husband not a fear of him, but actually a fear of God. The fear of God is put on display 
where, you know, if, if a husband would have then asked, you know, why do you submit to me when we disagree on the most basic fundamental questions of life? And the answer would be, uh, I love you, but even more than that, I must submit to you out of fear of God. It, it, it is out of the great honor and respect that I have for my God who commands me and whom I love and whom I love to obey, who has commanded me to submit to you. And so I recognize the authority which God has given to you. This, this is uh, the godly attitude that can win over uh, a husband. Now, the second reason, uh, the second reason why a woman should submit to her husband that's given, particularly in verses three to four, is because it's beautiful, is because it shows a great beauty, and not just a beauty in the eyes of man, which it does show, but even more in the eyes of God. A woman who humbly submits to her husband is beautiful. Now, women in life have a special relationship uh, to beauty. Uh, Women naturally think about beauty more than men do. There is a natural beauty to women that men don't have. You know, the, the, the beauty is one of the things that's attractive uh, in a woman in a way that it's not exactly the same for uh, a man uh, being attracted to a, a woman. Um, and even just beyond even the physical appearance of a woman versus the physical appearance of a man, uh, even just all the things that women care for and, and touch and are excited about, all of them tend towards beauty. Uh, it's very clear if you were to go into um, a house of a single man and you just look at the decorations and the walls and whatever else, uh, there will be generally a blandness. There's just not the same kind of attention to beauty. There's not the same kind of pursuit of beauty that a woman has. And then uh, contrasting that, if you go to the house of a single woman or maybe even the house of a a married woman, uh, you'll see a house that's very different, a house that is tending towards beauty because women in general, pursue beauty in all areas of life. And so uh, Peter here then address, uh, addresses this very issue of uh, beauty with, with women. And, not to, and he's not trying to say that women are to refrain from pursuing beauty, but rather here he wants to show how feminine beauty and the feminine pursuit of beauty is actually related to godliness. That even as women pursue beauty in the various aspects of life, the deepest and most fundamental way that a woman can pursue and show forth beauty in life is to live a godly life, which includes submission to a husband. There is something intrinsically beautiful about this. And as women then pursue this beauty, as even it's a a particular calling of women to do this, uh, there there is a way in which it's shown forth in submission uh, that is beautiful, not just in the sight of man, but even in the sight of God. Now, Peter begins this by contrasting uh, a shallow superficial beauty with a true beauty. And this is basically uh, just the the basic distinction of an outward beauty versus an inward beauty. Notice in verse 3, he describes the way beauty is not to be pursued. Do not let your adornment be merely outward, arranging the hair, wearing gold, or putting on uh, fine apparel. Now, here Peter is describing uh, an outward uh, external beauty merely, this does not mean that it would it is wrong for a woman to care about the way she looks, to pursue beauty in her outward appearance, um, that sort of thing. It's not a, a, a blanket uh, prohibition against such things. As I said, women are just related to beauty in every aspect of life. It's not a bad thing. It's part of the way in which they were made uh, in the image of God, and it's something to be celebrated. However, 
It does mean, though, that there is an excessive caring about outward appearance and even a way in which you dress and pursue that outward appearance that is, in fact, sinful and not in accordance with godliness. And so, uh, particularly the, the things that Peter is addressing here is the way you dress, uh, the way you adorn yourself outwardly. Uh, this would, I think, include two primary areas of application. The first would be uh, not pursuing uh, external adornment in a way that is ostentatious to display great wealth or status, uh, that sort of thing. Um, let the beauty that you are to show ought to be a, a humble kind of beauty. Um, and so if you, you know, if a woman is, is um, excessively devoted to uh, jewelry, because it's not to say jewelry is bad, but if uh, the, the showing forth of great jewelry um, is one of the primary ways that you seek beauty, that itself is a, a shallow and superficial beauty, which is not in accordance with godliness. And then the second way, uh, area of application is with modesty and dress. Uh, that um, there are some women who would be uh, tempted to show forth beauty in terms of uh, displaying uh, great uh, adornments, um, you know, jewelry, that sort of thing. But others who are tempted to a similar kind of uh, display uh, with uh, not covering themselves in the way that they ought, um, dressing in such a way that you try to attract sexual attention and desire uh, from other people. And in both cases, uh, there is a, a pursuit of beauty that is not in accordance with godliness. It is merely external and it is, in fact, condemned uh, by Peter here. But then notice then the opposite. So you're not to do that. You're not to pursue beauty in a way that displays wealth, prestige, whatever, or sexual desire, uh, that sort of thing. But you are to pursue a true beauty that is a beauty of the heart. Now, again, let me emphasize this. Peter is not saying that you should not pursue beauty. It is a good thing for a woman to pursue beauty. But what he wants first for women to do is to pursue a true beauty that lasts that is more valuable than anything external that you can adorn yourself with. And so notice the way that he describes this. It is adorning yourself with the, the, uh, the hidden person of the heart, an inward beauty, and is described as having a gentle and quiet spirit. There, there is something attractive about a woman who has a gentle and quiet spirit. And there is something that is deeply not attractive about a woman who is always yelling about having to have equal rights with men and being able to do all the same things that men do, do, that, that, men do that sort of thing. It is not an attractive thing to do. There, there is a beauty to having a humble and gentle and quiet spirit, that, that a, a, a spirit that simply cares for others. It is something that is very godly, and it is, in fact, very attractive. And so, so sisters in, in particular here, let me uh, address you. Obviously, this, this passage is more geared towards women, and this sermon is as well. But think about this. It's not wrong to pursue beauty in your outward appearance or any of, the, of those things, but think about the kind of commitment that you have to uh, adorning yourself well outwardly, caring about the way that you look in front of other people, perhaps before you're about to go out to meet uh, with other people. Think about the care that you have about the way that you look. And then compare that to the way in which you pursue godliness of the heart. Do you have the same care in making yourself look beautiful inwardly as you do outwardly? Do you have the same devotion uh, or even, you know, one of the things that can be um, 
I think very difficult and embarrassing for women. You know, if you go out of the house and you're not uh, ready, looking your best, and you think, you know, I just don't look good. Uh, do you have the same care about going out of the house with ungodliness, so that people would see not just you know whatever uh, outward appearance you, that you that you have at that time, but even the the inward character of the heart that you are displaying to everyone in all of your interactions? Do you have the same care about pursuing beauty in the heart as you do about pursuing beauty outwardly? Or even in this passage, you are actually to pursue this far more. Uh, It should be a far greater concern to you, the inward beauty of the heart, than the external uh, outward beauty that others can see only with the eyes. Now, the reason for this, the reason why it's so much more valuable to have an inward beauty than an outward beauty is because, as, as Peter describes it here, it is incorruptible. It's incorruptible. It's something, this is a, an adjective that uh, Peter used earlier to describe some of the blessings of the gospel, some of the things that are awaiting us. It, it, the idea is that beauty itself, this kind of inward beauty, the hidden beauty of the heart with a gentle and quiet spirit, it lasts into eternity. You know, we just read from Proverbs 31 where there is a description of the the woman who fears God. And there, you know, it says charm is deceitful, that beauty is fleeting. But a woman who fears the Lord, this this is the thing that endures. It's the thing that lasts uh, forever. It is the thing that is, in fact, incorruptible. Like you will receive an incorruptible inheritance, so too the beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit will last forever. It, It does not grow old. It does not deteriorate in any way. You will grow in beauty all the days of your life, even as your body ages, if you grow in godliness. And then also, not only this, and, and I mentioned all of these things, godliness is attractive to a godly man. It is, it is something that is very attractive. It is, it is a beautiful thing. But not only this, but more than even in the eyes of man, beauty that's inward and coming from the heart is attractive in the sight of God. It is not just, not just this, but notice the way that, that Peter describes it. It's very precious in the sight of God. And even the word here that's, that's translated as precious has to do with it being very expensive or costly. Uh, the idea is, you know, you could, you could find a great diamond and put it on your finger and, you know, it could be a great uh, show and display or whatever. And it's very beautiful. and Everyone can look at it and see that it's very beautiful. It's very costly. It's very precious. But godliness is like that, but even more because it's eternal. It doesn't end in the sight, not of man, but of God. If you want to adorn yourself with the most costly and precious gem imaginable, adorn yourself with the gem of godliness. And you will have not just uh, you know other people say sh- being able to see your great beauty, but you will have even more importantly, way far more importantly, you will have God see that you are in fact beautiful. This is the thing that God himself values, that you would have a godly character. Now, let me just take a little bit of time to address those of you uh, who are single. I think this can be a particular temptation. Um, young single women, uh, they want men to notice them, and they want to pursue marriage, um, that sort of thing. And there is this temptation, I think, for women to dress a certain way in order for uh, the you know, men to uh, notice them so that you can be in a relationship and then you can eventually uh, get married. But let me just encourage you. It and exhort you too, it's not the pursuing of of outward beauty. If that's all that you're pursuing, it will not lead you to a blissful and happy marriage. 
you may have people notice you, but you will not have the right kind of people notice you. If you are only trying to attract someone with outward beauty, you will only attract men who care only about outward beauty. If you do not care about the inward beauty of the heart, you will not be able to attract because a man won't be attracted to it. If you do not have the inward beauty of the heart, you will not be able to attract men who care about the inward beauty of the heart. And so you will, you, will, you will get what you are trying to attract. And if you only care about the outward beauty and you find someone that only cares about outward beauty, then there will always be, there will always be a temptation for that man who does not care about godliness to leave the moment he finds someone who has a slightly better outward, outward appearance. Or even, maybe not even a better one, but just different. You know, he might just grow tired of, of your outward appearance, that sort of thing. Uh, that there is there, this is the way in which women trying to attract men um, can very often find themselves in difficult situations. If you want to find someone where you can be happy with them in a marriage, you must find someone who cares about inner beauty. And the way to do that is to cultivate that inner beauty yourself. Be attractive to the right kinds of people. Now, the same would then be true for men. I haven't addressed uh, the men very often in the sermon, but. Uh, men, if you are to, to find a, a wife that you can live with, you must seek and try to find a wife who is displaying not just outward beauty, but a true inward beauty of the heart. A man will pierce himself with many pangs if he finds a beautiful woman outwardly who yet uh, does not have a godliness of character. It, it better to, as the Proverbs say, better to dwell in the corner of a house or better is water uh, continually dripping upon a man than to find a quarrelsome wife. And so, this is, this is the, th- these are the reasons to submit. It can advance the kingdom of God. It is beautiful in the sight of God. Notice as Peter ends this passage, he gives us uh, even a number of examples. Basically, the, the argument is this. In the scriptures, godly women have always acted this way. This has always been the way that, that women have acted who are godly. Notice in verses 5 and 6, For in this manner in former times the holy women who trusted in God also adorned themselves, being submissive to their own husbands, as Sarah obeyed, calling him Lord, whose daughters you are, if you do good not and are not afraid of any terror. Godly women have always acted in this way. Notice as well in verse 5, that in describing the holy women of old, and this, the verse five is general. Verse six is is a uh, you know, verse five is general examples, all godly women. Uh, verse six is the particular example of Sarah. Notice as well, though, with these holy women described in verse five, that Peter is saying this is the way they adorned themselves. This is the way they pursued beauty. They they put on beauty by adorning themselves with godliness of character. And then, as, as I mentioned, the particular example here is Sarah. Sarah, who obeyed Abraham and even called him Lord. Now, think of the godliness of Sarah here. As uh, they are about to go out, you know, God calls Abraham out of Ur of the Chaldees and, and asks him to go to a land where he does not know. He then has to ask his wife to follow him to a country that's different from the, uh, the, the country that he's coming from, the land of his ancestors, where all of his family is. She has to be willing then to follow her husband into a place that she has no idea where they're going. The only explanation she's given is that God will show us the land and he's promised that it'll be good. And she's willing to follow him. She is willing to, to, to follow him and submit to his leadership in, in very many areas of life. Even when Abraham uh, commits great sins, you know, trying to pass off Sarah as his as sister a couple of times, 
Uh, and it's not to say that submission should lead us into sin, uh, but she is always willing, even after seeing her husband's failures, to uh, submit to him uh, in ways that are godly. Even after the whole debacle with Hagar, she still is willing to submit to him, live with him, and to love him. And even then, when uh, this particular verse is alluding to Genesis 18, 12, uh, which is after all of those things, after Abraham has failed in trying to pass her off as a sister, and uh, she was almost married to uh, Pharaoh, uh, and, and even after the whole Hagar incident, which was a, a, a terrible sin, even after all of that, when God comes and promises to Sarah that Abraham, to, to Abraham and Sarah that they will have a child, that Sarah will bear a son by Abraham, and she's even laughing and thinking, you know, how could this possibly be? How could this be even when my Lord is old? E- even, you know, my, my husband is, is old, you know, I, you know, she would have an opportunity here to think of all this, of his failures. And yet even there, in all the, the situation, she respects her husband and calls him Lord and submits to him. If she is speaking publicly to another person about her husband, she always addresses him with respect. She always describes him in a way that is respectful. And here the scriptures say, just as Abraham is always held out as being the father of the faithful, if you are faithful, you follow in the footsteps of Abraham and you are a son of Abraham. So too, women, sisters in Christ, if you follow in the the example of Sarah, then you are a daughter of Sarah. You are a daughter of Sarah in the line of godliness. You will have nothing to fear in this life. You will show forth a great beauty, just as all of the daughters of God have always shown forth great beauty in this world, precious in the sight of God, and very, very valuable. Now, these are all the reasons that Peter gives. This is the the great command, the exhortation to submit. And I recognize as well that in marriage, uh, one of the greatest challenges of life is, is being in a difficult marriage. And it can be uh, probably the, the first and greatest area of suffering. Um, you know, if you, if you have a, a difficult marriage, it can be, um, you know, all-encompassing in terms of uh, the kind of pain that, it can, that can, it can cause. This is especially true for married who are, who, uh, women who are married to unbelievers. And so what, what do you do if you're in that situation, if you're suffering in this way? As with all of Peter's uh, uh, other exhortations in this section, you are to submit to pursue true beauty, the true beauty of godliness, that your husband might be attracted to that beautiful fruit of the gospel, might see it growing and say, this is something that I want. May it be that God would cause uh, the women of this church to shine forth in beauty in such a way that God's kingdom is advanced and that Christ himself is well pleased. Let us pray. Father, how we do thank you even for the different ways in which you've made us. Lord, we're thankful that all are not men and that all are not women. Lord, and we are are thankful even for the ways in which uh, women do add so much beauty to this world and how they do show forth your glory, uh, even in ways that men cannot. And Lord, we're we're so thankful for this and we praise you for it as you even reveal yourself through uh, these kinds of things. Lord, we do pray that you would help us as a church to grow in our godliness, and particularly for the women of this church, 
our dear sisters in Christ, that they would show forth a true beauty which is precious in your sight. And Lord, that even in so doing, that uh, you would cause your church to grow. Lord, that you would grant to all of us to be able to live uh, in ways that are faithful in whatever station of life you've called us to. Lord, may it be that when the world sees us, a world that's so discontent with every single situation that it's in, may it look to the church and find that everybody in every situation of life is perfectly content and that we are happy where you have called us to. Lord, grant us contentment in all the the ways in which we are to submit. And Lord, may it be that in doing this, that the light of your gospel would shine forth. For we do ask all this in the name of your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Well, brothers and sisters, please uh, rise as we close our service with praise. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to find out more about our church, you can visit us at newcovopcssf.com. That's N-E-W-C-O-V-O-P-C-S-S-F.com. If you'd like to worship with us on Sunday, our service times are 10.30 a.m. and 5 o'clock p.m.